Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on June 13th, Lord's Day Service. Our text this morning is beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 2. We will read beginning in verse 24 through chapter 3, verse 6. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife were not ashamed. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that though we read stories like this and are discouraged because we see the sins of our father Adam and our mother Eve, not only in their lives, but we see the sin in our own life as well. Yet thank you that you have not left us without hope, but you've given us our Savior who has redeemed and restored us and has brought us back to you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. In the beginning, God made the household, and the attack of the enemy soon followed. Adam and Eve had children, and murder commenced. From the beginning, the enemy has attacked this institution. For by it, by the household, the command of God to be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion of the earth will be fulfilled. Not might be, but will be fulfilled. Today, every political ideology from communism and socialism to liberalism and even our beloved modern capitalism views the family as a hindrance, a relic, a roadblock to be removed rather than an institution to protect. In order for them to succeed, whatever the ideology is, it must isolate the individual from the family, church, and other personal institutions thus making him or her reliant on the government, on technology, and on the god mammon for existence and meaning. It's easy to be disgusted at perversion and to see perversion in its manifold forms today as an attack on the family as God ordained it. But if we simply look at what's going on right now, 
and say, boy, this is a terrible attack. That's like the person in the War of 1812 living in Washington, D.C., who didn't believe that the British would really attack until they burned down the White House. And that only then are they convinced, yeah, I think these guys mean business. The onslaught, the continual attacks on the family didn't start last week or last month. The path to modern perversion was paved by the church in making peace with easy contraception in the 1930s. With letting man, that, that act of making peace with that one thing, let man claim that he has a right to sexual fulfillment without the responsibilities of marriage or children. The serpent continued, not only speaking to the man, but speaking to the woman, luring her away from her call to build the house, to help in building the house, and tempting her rather to build an isolated, separate, autonomous career apart from the limitations of a family. If you will just embrace this vision, if you will take this fruit, you too can be just like God all on your own. You don't have to do it through this institution. You don't have to come and follow and submit to this institution. And the result we call feminism. This coincided with no-fault divorce laws that allowed the breaking of a covenant before God with nothing but two signatures. Our current rebellion against God's plan for sexuality is the fruit of these earlier actions, not separate actions. They're not separate issues today. It is the continuation of man and woman saying, I will decide what is right for me, not God. We don't get to walk down the path of rebellion and just call a halt whenever we want to. Now granted, many in, in, in prior generations and many in, in our own generation now, many will at some point stop or tr want to stop, held back by a feeling that vaguely something is just not right. This doesn't look like it should. But just because one generation stops, the next generation always goes further. They will push further. But it doesn't have to be this way. It's not the end. What we're living in right now is not the end of the story. God made the household for fellowship, protection, and blessing. It's not only possible to restore God's plan, the Christian household is the garden in which we were made to flourish. But also like a garden, as we heard earlier today, a godly household requires work without which it will become choked with weeds and thorns, a place of emptiness, of dearth, where, that neither shelters nor nurtures. 
Christian homes will not all look exactly the same. For each one is made of two unique people brought together by God in covenant for the formation of something beautiful and glorious. And in their union, spiritual and physical, fruit is born. And they give, and then children are themselves unique. But even though different people make different homes, and, and are one of the beautiful things about the Christian household is that they don't look the same. If you wanted to go to your house, well, you go to your house. But when you go to someone else's, you don't expect their home to look like yours. It's like, and that's one of the, the, the beauties of the church. We don't have one set vision for how everyone must decorate their home, for how everyone's family devotions look. We don't have that. What we have is this beautiful polyphony, multiple notes being played at the same time that make a glorious sound. That's what the body of Christ looks like. It's the household of households. But even though each household is different, you can tell a home is filled with God's Spirit because every Christian household will have a certain atmosphere. Love, honor, sacrifice, and submission permeate the Christian household like the smell of freshly baked bread. Or for some guys, I would say freshly grilled steak. It is a place of grace where sins are confessed and forgiven. Here hope is restored. Communication is free and joy is full. It's a place where authority is clear. And both spouses understand, the husband and the wife understand and delight in their complementary roles, striving to bless and build one another up. This is not a machine where if you just get the right parts, the right cogs, the right gears in the right places, and you add fuel, you can start the engine and watch it go. The household is an organism with ups and downs, strengths and weaknesses, and the need for nourishment and protection. Building a household is our privilege and our calling. There's no such thing as a perfect home. Some of you might be able to attest to that fact. We all sin against one another. Big sins and small sins, hidden sins and public sins. And all of these sins need the grace of forgiveness. Over the next several weeks, we will go through a, a series on the household. Not so much the, the broader economic elements, but, but especially in our age of autonomous anarchy, 
where everyone strives to do what is right in his or her own eyes, we want to lay the foundation for the household in the way that God made it, emphasizing the roles of men and women, of husbands and wives in the household. And then the last week we will consider the role of singles. Those who are not yet married, but may desire this wonderful gift. So today we're emphasizing, we're focusing on the attack on and the defense of the household. So after this series, you might be tempted to think that a Christian household is a formula. Just follow these commands. Memorize these passages, Ephesians 6, or excuse me, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Colossians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. 1 Peter 4, and so on. Just memorize the commands, and your home will look like so-and-so's. Whoever's the, the model that you hold up in your mind. And we know we all have these people. They're people that we look at that we think, that's what it ought to look like. We think, if I just, if I'm a husband and I just lead well enough, if I, if I discipline my children with just, in just the right way, if I love sacrificially enough, then I can make all of this work. Or if you're a wife, you say, if I just learn how to submit the right way, if I sacrifice properly, if, if, if I make myself known without overdoing it, you know, maybe I can get, I can straighten everything out. But it's not magic. It's not a secret. It's a long-term assignment. And if, if your household is not the way you want it right now, hopefully you and your spouse will work together. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way because life is messy. But that doesn't mean that you give up. I can't guarantee everything will go the way you hope because you're not the only one who's a part of this, but I can tell you this. The message of the gospel, the good news, is not just for individuals. God is not only interested in your salvation. He is interested in the salvation and the restoration of your home. And in Scripture, we see this demonstrated. From our earliest history, God saved households, beginning with Noah, continuing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God's promise has always been to covenant households. That's why from the very beginning, the enemy has worked to divide husbands and wives, parents and children, grandparents from their sons and daughters, and then from their grandchildren. 
We see this reversed, though, in the book of Acts when we see the conversion of not just individuals, but of the households. In cases like that of Cornelius, the Philippian jailer, and Lydia. Now I want to ask you a question. Why does the Holy Spirit bring into the testimony of this evangelism that the households themselves, not just the individuals, but the households were converted, that the households were baptized? Because God never stopped working the way that he started. He, he has continued working this way. The households being converted is, what, is part of what turned the world upside down. Because Christianity in the early church was no longer this, this roving rabbi and his disciples. It was a movement of households who were together coming to Christ, united in His church, and reforming the Roman household system, which had existed already for a long time, to something much more glorious and beautiful. These Christian homes were ordered in monogamous, patriarchal, and nurturing relationships. Don't run from the word that has been abused often of patriarchy. Because if God is our Father, the cosmos is patriarchal. But He gives faithfully and graciously. And though secularists would malign the order of God, that order through Christ is what brings salvation to the world. This should be our perspective as well. The early Christian perspective is one that we too should hold. If you want to see temporary change come to a place, then evangelize individuals. If you want to see long-term change and fidelity to the cause of Christ, then disciple entire households. Faithful households are the key to faithful societies. A fact that you can read not only in the prophets and the patriarchs, you can read even in the pagan philosophers like Herodotus and Aristotle. You read through Aristotle's work, he begins with talking about ethics which blossoms into friendships, which blossoms into the household and leads to sta a stable political society. It's a natural progression. And if even one of the, granted the, one of the world's greatest secular, non-Christian philosophers can understand this, we should not scoff at it. So, how then do we counteract the lies of sexual anarchy that have invaded our homes? It is in the message 
of service, submission, and sacrifice. I will not spend a great deal of time on these. What we will unpack them further in coming weeks. But I will read Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. To begin with, the first of those three things, service. And this is especially in the, the call for husbands. Husbands, you are called to serve your wives. Now some of us are resistant to this because we have redefined service as uh, being a butler or if we really want to throw it in a way that is an affront to our masculinity we say that's what a maid does well if you want to call Jesus a maid then go right ahead but you'd be wrong because that's exactly what he gave but service begins in this way that, that men are called to serve through leading. Now this is neither the I'm the boss and you'll do what I say school of leadership, nor is it the I don't know what do you want to do school of leadership. We are called men to follow Jesus in this role, pointing the direction God has called us to go and demonstrating how? We don't say, this is the way, I'm right behind you. We say, this is the way, follow me. And he takes the first fire. It's like King Loon which many of you, I'm sure, who have read the Chronicles of Narnia are familiar with. When he was teaching his son about what it means to be a king, he said it means being, and I'm paraphrasing here, the first in battle and the last out. It means laughing loudest when the meal is scant. That's the type of service we are called to give. Service means embracing the authority and responsibility given to you by God as the leader of your home. So we're called to service. That The home must be a place of service, but also of submission. Wives, just as your husband is called to lead, you are called to honor and submit to him. 
And if you think, well, that must have been easy for people back then who were used to that in Bible times, why do you think that Paul had to write to the church about this? It's never been easy. And for some, it's more difficult than others. So guys, if you ever get frustrated because you don't think your wife is submitting well, so let me just offer you a parallel so that you can kind of, you know, a mirror to hold up to yourself. How easily do you submit to President Joe Biden? Do you gripe about him? You teach your wife how to submit by the way you submit to your boss and to your president and to your governor. Okay? So just think about that when you're tempted to frustration. Ladies, you can make or break your home by how you respond to your husband's leadership. You can neuter his leadership with a word or a look, even while you outwardly do what he asks you to do. Now, I'm not saying that this submission is not a call to stay quiet. Yes, talk with him. Do your best to express what you think and why, but also be patient. <clears throat> Do these things while showing respect, whether or not you believe he has earned it. Because this is God's command. You are doing so to honor God. God honoring submission in the home is like a lieutenant general who advises and still submits to a general in the military. It's not easy always, but you are under God who gives you the liberty to obey while assigning the responsibility of what happens, the results of what happens to your husband. And lastly, sacrifice. Home should be a place of service, of submission, and sacrifice. We all want to please ourselves, but God made the world to function on sacrifice. Life comes from planting a seed, giving it up and letting it die, that it in turn may rise. Jesus' sacrifice, the giving up of his life, is what brings salvation to the world. Not only is Jesus our example in this area, but because his spirit dwells in us, we are empowered supernaturally to sacrifice for one another, thereby giving life. To our home. Without sacrifice, service and submission fall flat. When we sacrifice our preferences, and this is husbands and wives, when we sacrifice our preferences for God's way of life, we can trust that God will use my obedience to Him to bless my home even when I don't feel like it. The powers of darkness will use every tool imaginable, and they have, to pry into any weak spot and gain access and control of your household. But God has given us the gifts of service, 
submission and sacrifice with which to withstand this attack. Defending the household does not begin with political involvement, with boycotting the companies that support wrong causes, or with excellent sardonic Facebook posts. While there can be good in some of those, defending the household begins by embracing who God made you, learning to delight in your role, and pursuing your responsibilities in the household with joy. This is God's plan for the protection and the flourishing of his institution. Let's pray. Our Father in God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us an example of how to walk through Christ our Savior. And may we indeed follow him and grow in the gifts that you have supplied. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. <laughs>